All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ATL on Fire. Uh, we are joined by Dave Katz out in Seattle, joined by his cousin Dave as well. And uh, he is a Seattle fan and appreciate him joining the podcast to give us a little bit of perspective from the other side of the coast. And, yeah, uh, we're making a West Coast swing. Absolutely. <laughs> so what have you guys been up to uh, out in Seattle? Uh, we've any been, trouble? you know, visiting, we visited Portland, we visited Seattle, and now we're in wine country. So you want to tell them a little bit about the wine? Yeah, so what we've, uh, yeah, so you're drinking a, uh, that, that's a local wine uh, from uh, Walla Walla. Uh, it's a, it's a Chardonnay from uh, Savaya Cellars, and uh, we're uh, uh, members of, of that wine club, and it's a, uh, it's a great, great area, Walla Walla. And uh, the whole Yakima Valley, Columbia Valley, uh, highly recommend all the wines from it. I have to say, you know, we had a Walla Walla wine at our wedding um, from Waterbrook. So, you know, this is near and dear to my heart. This wine <laughs> well, that's awesome. What yeah. are you drinking, Mikey Dog? I am randomly as well, literally drinking uh, what, a Pinot Gris Villa Wolf, uh, which I hardly ever drink white wine, but uh, it was the only thing we had. So I went with it. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, but I can't wait to do a, a wine trip out West with my wife. We've been talking about that forever. So we'll have to ring you up and get some recommendations for sure. Yeah. You can't just go to Napa and Sonoma. You got to come up to Willamette in Portland mm. or to Washington wine country. Yeah. Willamette Valley Pinots are one of my favorites. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, did you make it there when you were on, on this trip? Yeah. Not this trip, but we've been the last time we were here. We're out visiting. Uh, my wife's sister. So we've been to Portland a couple of times. The last time we were out here, we went to the Willamette. It was great. Awesome. Well, we um, we had a soccer game last night for Atlanta United, Dave. I don't know if you were able to watch well, it. It was blacked out here. We don't want to talk about that, right? No, we I want to jump right into a better team in Seattle. I'm just going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go into my rant, which I think it may have been a rant in the past, which is okay. I, I miss my cable bill that went up. <laughs> It was like two hundred and forty dollars, and just went up. At least I could watch what I wanted to watch. I like now. Now I'm crying, Uncle, on all the, all the apps that I forget how to log into, and then like jumping through hoops. It's it's exhausting. I was so frustrated trying to figure out how to watch the game, and I, I literally yeah. To fill in my cousin David here, you know, in Atlanta, there's 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 wars going on between our Fox Sports Network and all of the cut the cord, the YouTube, tube, YouTube television, Hulu, whatever. And so they've now put all the Fox Sports onto a new app called Valley Sports. It's awful. Like, and nobody carries it. And they're playing chicken to see who blinks first, yeah. whether or not YouTube TV and all those things agree to pay them more first. Or whether or not you know they blink first. Yeah, it, it's, it's yeah, and even the the actual technical product part of the broadcast is bad. It's like glitchy and like they're always having problems sending a good signal from from the, my experience as well. So hopefully 
Arthur Blank will have some sort of influence on that. I don't know. So our away game situation at the moment is it's catastrophically bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody from Atlanta can even watch the away games. We only go to the stadium, and then then when we're when we're away, it's like what happens? Yeah. So, also- dear podcast listener, if you're out there and you didn't get to see the game, that was probably a good thing. Yeah, so about <laughs> about 40 minutes in or so, whenever they scored, uh, it was like, you know, already had given up. So I went back and watched the YouTube highlights. And yeah. I, I don't know, Dave, if you were able to see it or see the highlights, but yeah. I, I have a couple notes. It was, it was The goals were pretty bad in terms of the way we gave them up. Um, the first one, Mo Adams, who's not a regular starter, um, I guess he was playing in, in Sosa's spot there. Is that right? Yeah, well, why was Sosa not available, you know? I don't know. Like I said, I didn't hear the broadcast, so I don't know what the what the reason was. Actually, this is a good uh, moment we can bring in, David. So at Atlanta United, one of our big criticisms of the club is they give us zero information about injuries. So I believe that Sosa got injured in training, but okay. they don't even tell you that. They're just like, oh, he didn't, he didn't show up on the flight, right? Hmm. They tell you nothing about the injury. Do they tell you stuff about injuries? Uh, I not you know brian schmetzer the head coach for the sounders does press conferences here and there and he he'll he'll tell you that uh you know someone's injured and they're they're on the mend they're they're getting better but you don't get a lot of details about Ah. what the injury is uh so yeah it's very similar similar. it's pretty similar ours is terrible they're like you know they'll have a player will be injured for months and they're like they don't tell you when they're coming back they don't tell you what we had one of our star players injured and they didn't tell us for months even what the injury was like mm. they wouldn't even tell you what it was that he injured yeah. like was it a hamstring was nothing yeah and um yeah that's that's you know even when you go to the press conferences i mean the fact that we have a spanish-speaking coach it's a little hard to get through as well because they do the double translation and double the quite you know so it's it's a little hard to watch the press conferences uh and have the patience too but um yeah, Mo Adams on that first goal basically just got beat man on man to begin with. And then if I recall, you know, there's some other people didn't close down whoever the, the guy was who took the shot and it deflected off somebody's foot and then kind of arced over Brad Guzan and, and went in. Is that is that right, Dave, if I'm remembering? Yeah, that it one? was a bad deflection. But uh, I have to say, when I watched, I, I really thought that Antoine Walks was at sixes and sevens. Like, his ability to sense the danger in the back is it's not good. So um, <laughs> what do you got there? Yeah, the first <laughs> the, the, he's my next two, which is Ant, Antoine right. walks the well, let's hear it. So yeah, the second goal, Anton walks plays a terrible ball across the field um, oh, yeah, that, was that got easy, easily poached. And then they came in and, and scored on that one. And then, the third one was your classic point about Antoine walks, not reading the danger. It was a ball, a ball that got crossed over. He actually got back and a guy ran behind him and he never, he literally never even knew the danger was behind him. And it went right over his head and, and the other defender, whoever it was, um, Lennon or somebody trying to get back, couldn't catch up, but it was really Anton walks opportunity to read that danger and never even saw it go over his head to the the other player. So he just got back into wasted space, and that I think that was the third goal. So Antoine Walks was uh, not great in that game. So I'm hoping for a 4th of July present that Alan Franco, our new Argentinian center back, turns out to actually be good and healthy and maybe play. 
Yeah. Because we need him. And by the way, happy 4th of July. Did you guys see any fireworks last night or do anything? No, they didn't have fireworks in Seattle. They got canceled. Did they really? Really? Oh. <laughs> I, th- I don't know whether it was COVID or whether, you know, the fire danger is too high. Oh, I that's right. It's it been crazy. It's been crazy hot in Seattle, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been very, very hot and dry. They announced that they would be showing old fireworks shows on television. <laughs> <laughs> which is not the same. I think I did that to uh, the kids over New Year's. I played like last year's uh, uh, dropping of the thing just to get them into bed. And I did that at like 10 p.m. instead of midnight. And that was my trick. So clever. Yeah. Once they hear this, though, when, you know, a few years, they're going to be angry. Yeah, I know. But it was <laughs> worth it. Um, so, yeah, Do I don't have fireworks in Atlanta. Well, our neighborhood here in Avondale States puts on a pretty awesome show. Um, so there's, you know, a couple thousand people that get down by the lake here. And last night's, I don't know if they had a surplus of uh, fireworks from last year, but it was by far like the most epic fireworks finale that, that they've had. At one point, I actually thought something went wrong and the, the trees were on fire. That's how good it was. I mean, it really was. It was an illusion. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's good when you think the trees are on fire. Yeah. But uh, All right, now let's get down to business. Let's, yeah. We got to get the Seattle perspective, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Seattle, who's second in the table, um, has been first. A, Aren't they first? First. I don't know. I just, I'm sorry. I went to my phone. They were second in the table. Maybe they were tied for number one. I don't know. Actually, they only tied last night. So it's possible they could have lost. Last time we disagreed with Google, Dave, we got, we were wrong. So I don't know. I'm going by. So so Mikey Dobbs and I have been discussing this. So one of the things that's weird about MLS, and maybe you can comment. So so most leagues around Europe and whatever, everybody plays on the same day, you know, typically Saturday, occasionally Sunday. Right. And so the table gets updated, you know, every weekend. But MLS, they have games all the time or whatever. So it's not synchronous. And so somebody will play on a Tuesday and somebody will play on a Wednesday. And so when you look at the table, it's always what we call a live table, which is whoever, you know, whatever the points are at this moment. And you can look and you don't know whether, yeah. you know, <laughs> Cincinnati's playing on a random Tuesday and they happen to, you know, get points. So. Yeah, they put Sporting ahead of Seattle okay. in the late 2000s. Uh, 2009, I think, was their first season. Okay. And, okay. Uh, yeah, we've, we've followed them uh, all throughout. Uh, you know, we're we, – my son played soccer, so we were a soccer family. And uh, we uh, – so we always followed them. And, uh, and so we've uh, – the first game that I ever went to was actually an exhibition game of uh, the Sounders versus Chelsea when Chelsea came on one of their tours. Over the summer, the, uh, yeah. So that was kind of fun to see, but we were, we had some nosebleed seats and uh, my son had, my son was actually at the inaugural game of the opening season for the Sounders. Wow. Um, so he actually has a spark from the very first game that the, that they handed out. And he was disappointed because the season, the, the, the section we were in for the Chelsea game, we, we were sitting and, uh, and he's like, no, we should be standing. Yeah. You know, if you want to really take in a Sounders game, you have to be standing. Yes. And, uh, so, uh, you know, that's when, when we, when we, as a family went to our first Sounders game, we made sure that we sat right by the Emerald city supporters, uh, and, uh, and we stood the whole game and we, we chanted all of their, their, their chants to, uh, to, to root on the team. And my wife became the hooligan of us. <laughs> so she's the one that loves right. to, to, you know, drink beer at the game yeah. and, and sing all the songs and, uh, 
you know, that not necessarily the PG version of all the songs yeah. either. Okay, uh, so there's a lot to unpack. I have a question. So, so we actually, so in the inaugural season in Atlanta, everybody stood. But we've now become what, you know, Roy Keane and Manchester United would call the, you know, the prawn sandwiches type. You know, that's the fancy elitist. You know, we don't stand anymore. That's right. Lame. I mean, the, the supporter section still does, but there used to be the entire stadium stood for yeah. every yeah. So and I would say it's at, at Lumen Field. I still can't, I still call it Century Lake because it's, yeah. But, uh, uh, the the whole lower bowl for the most part everybody stands. So so uh, Seattle plays at CenturyLink, the same same stadium yeah, as Seahawks, it's right? Called, it's not called CenturyLink anymore. Okay. Now, but yeah, it's the same place. And usually usually for Sounders games, it's just the lower bowl that they have open. The upper bowl is all blocked off. Uh, but they do have a few full see a full uh, stadium games, which are just intense. And to, to what's what's max games. capacity when it's when it's fully open? Oh yeah, it's uh, MLS Cup in 2019 was like 69,000. Awesome. Like that. So um, we, I think That's we had. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we had the stadium. We had the stadium yeah. record. Atlanta game. Well, I will say that I mean that's a beautiful stadium. Like the, I've I've actually seen a Falcons game there, uh, the 2016 season before we crashed and burned. Uh, pass interference, <laughs> pass interference on Julio Jones, or we would have won that game. But uh, yeah, I mean a beautiful stadium for sure, and it's it's a cool. St- because the Atlanta fans were not standing, Mikey Dobbs. <laughs> I mean, right. you're a podcast listener. <laughs> if you are an Atlanta United season ticket supporter. Look to your left, look to your right, and tell everybody to get up. I agree, hundred percent. Like, come on, what happened? We had the whole stadium standing, and then people were like, "If there's oh, one message we can get out there, it's stand up." Yes. So that I, I think that's part of the Seattle atmosphere. Yeah. Is the the standing, and and it's just so loud in there too. I mean that you know people know it from the Seahawks, the the twelfth man kind of thing too, but the Sounders bring it also. And when everybody is chanting the same thing together uh, or singing together, it is super loud in there. And yeah. it's just, it's crazy. The atmosphere is just crazy. Is it true that you can hear the Seattle Sounders game on the Richter scale? Because I've heard that in the stadium, sometimes it gets so I loud it vibrates that it actually, re- it, it registers on the Richter scale at the University of Washington, where they monitor earthquakes. <laughs> I believe it. The Seahawks games do. So I believe that the Sounders would too. Yeah. Well, one of the. Okay. So now my other question is this. So the other pet peeve that Mikey Dobbs and I have about Lane United. So we, of course, have our songs and whatever. But we, maybe because we're Atlanta, maybe we're new, whatever. But we don't have individual player player chance. Yeah. No player chance. All about the team or just in general. Do you guys have individual songs for, for players? We do. We do for the, the, the ones that I'd say not for everybody, but for the notable players, we do. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So there's one for, there's one for Stefan Fry, the goalie. There's one for, uh, uh, there was one for Roman Torres, uh, our center back from a couple of years ago. Uh, it's the star players certainly have. Them. Yeah. Yes. So Atlanta United supporters group, if you're listening, why doesn't Joseph Martinez have a song by the time he gets back from injury, I expect you guys to have an awesome TIFO and song crafted up. So 
Great point, Dave. Um, Otherwise, Mikey Dobbs and I are just going to have to make up all the songs. Yeah. And, and that's going to be it. Yeah, you don't want that. And even if it has to be just Mikey Dobbs and I singing the song ourselves. Yeah. You know, it'll be. The- We're not afraid. Um, <laughs> but one of the things about my Seattle football experience was, and I remember just being really jealous of that, like being on the train from the airport into the city. And then I stayed at a hotel downtown and how cool it was to like walk down the street with everybody. Like I, I, it was fun being an outsider with my Atlanta, uh, with my Falcons gear on. Um, but I remember being like, wow, this is what a sporting event should be like. we really didn't have, you know, Braves, Braves. I'm a huge Braves fan, but the whole atmosphere of getting into the game is like that has been missing in Atlanta sports and Atlanta United changed that. So when we had the soccer team, it started off in Bobby Dodd Stadium, which is Georgia Tech's football stadium. It kind of kicked that off, that whole atmosphere of everybody taking the train in and everybody had their gear on. And so I feel like Atlanta United kind of shifted that in Atlanta where people are coming in from all angles on the MARTA, um, you know, and, and actually coming in from downtown. And it has that feel. And I remember, you know, that that experience in Seattle and and finally getting that in Atlanta was a pretty cool thing to finally have Dave. I don't know if you, you felt the same way or cats. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great. But my question is, you know, so like I've been to a number of matches in Europe and it's very local and everybody are at the pubs ahead of time or whatever. America has much more of a tailgating sort of um, tradition. So in Seattle, do you guys tailgate in the supporters section? You go to a pub. What do you do before game? March to the match. Every, every game, yep. so you meet down at uh, Occidental Park, which is kind of near Pioneer Square yep. uh, in, in yep. Seattle, uh, I don't know, a half mile from the stadium or so, and uh, ECS leads the way with, uh, there's a guy with a megaphone leading with, uh, with songs and chants, and everybody gathers in the park, and we march to the stadium together, okay. and we're singing, and uh, for rivalry games, there's usually smoke bombs, um, <laughs> which uh, a, a I don't think are necessarily allowed, but uh, was, they uh, so are there anyway. Who's, who's uh, the biggest it's rival? It's a great atmosphere. Portland? It's a great atmosphere. Yeah. Portland's the biggest rival? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I fi- figured. Yeah. I mean, it's either, you know, Portland is definitely a, the biggest rival, but, uh, you know, the Whitecaps also, the whole, I mean, has, the Cascadia that, Cup is uh, Atlanta. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, the Cascadia Cup is, a, I mean, that's that's a huge thing. So that's a, it's a you know, the, the three teams, whichever one has the best record at the end of the year, uh, gets awarded the Cascadia Cup, which is handed from uh, fan club to fan club, a uh, supporters group to supporters okay, group. So, so has Seattle ever not won that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have. <laughs> they have, absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, come I mean, on. Portland, Vancouver, you guys are way better than them. Absolutely. So it seems like. Why do they even bother? Like, we could just leave it permanently in Seattle. So, so I, <laughs> so to say something nice about Atlanta. Um, so, you know, 2018, when you guys had your moments of glory there, you couldn't have beat a better team yeah. by, uh, by beating Portland there. So, yeah. uh, how Portland got to the MLS Cup, we'll never know. Right. Um, but, uh, but, you know, that's as a Sounders fan, obviously we want the Sounders to win. But we always want Portland to lose. So uh, thank you for, so, for doing that to them. So, Dave, what's your opinion on the quality of soccer since you started watching, um, you know, Seattle and the MLS? Like, how far has it progressed in your mind um, over the last, you know, 10, 20 years? 
Oh, I don't know. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I, I think the best test, I, I don't know if I necessarily can answer that with a, a, a real technical answer per se, but I can, I, you know, I can give the cliche answer in a sense that you look at all these European guys who think they're going to come to the MLS and retire and uh, they, they can't stand up to the, yeah. the, the pace uh, and, and the way that the game is played out here. So uh, I love watching, we love watching people like, uh, you know, Ibrahimovic last year or whenever that was. He came up to Seattle one time because Galaxy really needed to win because he never plays on turf, uh, but he showed up and he played at CenturyLink and to watch him uh, struggle out there and, uh, and see some of these guys think that they could just come to the MLS and play. Uh, I, I think it's it's a challenging league to yeah. play in. I think the caliber of soccer is really high. Yeah, I and think in the early I, days of the MLS, I mean, it was certainly the case that the biggest stars were, you know, washed-up European players. You know, Donna Dolly for the Metro Stars. I mean, Balderrama was in the league for a while. Like they were these guys who, you know, were were amazing players, but they were yeah. past it. But they could still dominate the MLS. So I think that's a really good point that the league has gotten to the point where, you know, I mean, actually it was um, Iguain uh, just a couple of weeks yeah, Iguain ago. Iguain who yeah. just said that, you know, he came from Italy and he thought, okay, I can, you know, smoke a cigarette and just dominate <laughs> this league. And he was surprised that he couldn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I think that's a really good point. Now, obviously I like to see the hometown kids stay on the MLS teams yeah. and to see them get drawn overseas to go play in Europe is also a testament to the, the, the caliber of soccer that they're playing. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's really uh, uh, it's mixed emotions about yeah. seeing some of these, these home hometown guys uh, go over there to play. But the fact that they're able to be successful over there is also a testament. Yeah. So it's, how does, you know, so in Atlanta, we sort of have been, emphasizing that we're a seller club that we're getting young players particularly a pipeline from south america they're coming to mls but those guys their intention is to play for atlanta for a year or two and then go overseas we had a huge success with al marone who came um, from south america from paraguay and then um, is now at newcastle for example in england so how does seattle does it seem like that do you guys get is that what your expectation is that, that the players or do you that the players are going to come to Seattle to then as a launching pad to go overseas? Or do you think that they're just coming to Seattle to play in Seattle? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I don't know if I really thought about that. I know that we have a bunch of homegrown guys. We have some 18 and 19 year olds who have grown up through the, the academy system in uh, in the Seattle area. But we also tend to attract a lot of South American yeah. players as well. Um, to uh, and and they tend to to just stay yeah. in Seattle. They they play out their careers here. So and you guys had a disaster, right? Because Jordan Morris, right, was was a Seattle. I mean, mm -hmm. you can probably fill us in, but he was a Seattle player, and then he went to England. Yeah, right. As like a loan deal, as a loan and he deal, got, got hurt, injured right? over there. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the worst. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but we have other ACL. we got a young homegrown guy, George Bellow, who started getting regular starts at 17. He's 19 years of age now, Dave. And now yeah. I, I think during the summer transfer window, there's actually serious rumors of him being traded to a Turkish team, I've heard. Um, but see, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I mean, I think of that if it turns out 
that we're selling to secondary leagues in Europe, like Turkey, and no offense to anybody who's Turkish out there, but, um, you know, the big leagues in Europe, England, you know, Spain, um, you know, Germany, you know, Italy, et cetera, um, that, that makes sense to me. But if we become, I think we want to be certainly as good as the Turkish league or the Portuguese yeah. league or the Dutch league. And if we start selling our players in general from MLS to there, I think that's a loss. I don't, but it, it's what's right for the player too. So I was and it sounds like some other English teams might have interest in George Bellow too. The most important thing for me for George Bellow at 19 is that he started his career in the MLS and if he can at 19 raise his game, cause I don't think he will, unless you're, I mean, bottom line is unless you're playing with the best competition, you're not going to elevate your game. So he has to make a move over the pond to elevate his game. So I feel like if that Turkey, that's okay. It'd be better if it was obviously a, a, another but league. Is the but, Turkish league better than the MLS? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they, their fans are crazier, you know, the, the big Fenerbahce and, and Gallic Tesserae. I mean, it's nuts over there. But um, I don't know. Outside of those two, I can imagine that Gallic Tesserae and Fenerbahce would come to the MLS and they would compete for the title every year. They're very good teams. Yeah. But the rest of the league is not good. Yeah, I don't know enough about the Turkish league, but um, I don't know that, that uh, U.S. soccer's record against Turkey has been that great over the years, so... Well, that's a national team. That's a very different thing. I, I know, I know, I know. But come <laughs> on, you get my point. Um, well, where was I going to go uh, a second ago? Oh, yeah. So a good loss against Portland the other day, uh, your rival to FC Austin, who got their first home win. Um, I think it was four, yeah, to, so four to one. And Austin. Mm. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and X, and X Atlanta United player was John Gallagher got their first goal ever in, in the, uh, in the stadium. I don't know if you were able to watch the highlight of that. That was actually pretty cool, Dave, to see him score. And he was actually, when we are in the, you know, drought with Joseph Martinez being out, he was our only guy up front doing anything creative or exciting that I've seen. Again, my problem right. with Kubo Torres continues I missed that guy already and seeing him score for FC Austin kind of has me scratching my head on why we, uh, maybe there's some economics there that made us move yeah, them. So but. MLS has all these crazy rules and, you know, player acquisition. If, if, if we get Mikey Dobbs started on it, he'll talk about <laughs> TAM and GAM, which are the <laughs> allocation money that yep. you can buy down and blah, blah, blah. Nobody understands it except for Mikey Dobbs. <laughs> uh, and certainly the podcast listeners, we won't put you through that again. But <laughs> so do you find, you know, for, for Seattle, one of the things we've had, you know, we because we had success, we won the title. And then we had to sell off a number of our players because of the salary cap. Basically. Mm-hmm. So, so you guys have a different perspective, which is basically winning every year. And so, so how do you, you know, so I guess my question is obviously Seattle's been able to keep some of their big stars when they've done really well. My, my impression is that, is that true? And have you had to sell off some of the secondary players when you've won titles? So they have, and uh, they've, they've often sold off some of the fan favorites, of course. Yeah. Um, so Ozzy Alonso, who was the, the heart and soul of the Sounders from the inaugural. He's, uh, he was traded to Minnesota United. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if he's still playing with yeah. them or not. 
Um, and uh, you know, two th the 2019 year, uh, their whole back line uh, disappeared. Uh, so uh, uh, um, Akihi Kim uh, with Korean uh, went uh, somewhere else uh, overseas again. Roman Torres, uh, he was down in Miami for a while, I think. Um, so yeah, some of those guys absolutely they yeah. they they have to to do that, and we we scratch our heads wondering why. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure it's a business decision. Yeah. Ultimately, it's uh, well they have a, a salary cap, so they can only pay a certain amount of salary. So when you win, then the agents come calling and they say, oh, you know, we're a winner, and you know, sure. we did X, Y, and Z. We want our raise, which is makes sense. Yeah. But then if you give them the raise, then you can't afford to keep them. They kept a lot of the team though. Which I was really yeah. They've had some players like Roldan and whatever mm -hmm. been there for a long time. Even after 2016, when they won the MLS. So cup, do, do you uh, think they, that they kept a lot of those guys? Do you think that the MLS will shift the uh, designated player rule so, soon to be four or five or something like that to open up additional talent from you know like like the league's been getting from South America or or Mexico? It is interesting. So so the designated player rule. And much of the whole MLS structure was designed to prevent MLS from collapsing, right? So, you know, when they started MLS, you know, everybody, the first the thing that was most fresh in their mind was the NASL, right? You probably even remember, you know, mm -hmm. growing up in New York, right? The, the Cosmos, Cosmos, right? Exactly. So, um, you know, and that league was, you know, like a lightning bolt through the sky, like, but then it flamed out, right? Because nobody could afford it. They were paying, you know, huge salaries and the teams were, you know, losing money left and right. So when MLS started, they really did all of these things to try and keep salaries down and whatever to make it affordable so that, you know, the, the clubs wouldn't go bankrupt. Now, obviously, Atlanta and Seattle are now examples of clubs that are very well supported, huge crowds, really good supporters, lots of people buying jerseys and things. And, you know, you get to the point where there's a lot of pressure on the league to let those clubs go a little bit so that, um, you know, they can, you know, use that fan base to get a better team. And, and the interesting thing, so the designated player was designed so that you couldn't buy too many expensive players and basically, you know, that they wouldn't go bankrupt. So yeah. I think, I think, you know, they just re-signed the collective bargaining agreement. Right. And every time it comes up, those, those things get negotiated and the and the players want to have more of those things because as soon as you get more designated players, their salaries go up, then everybody else's salary has to go up, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I don't know how you feel about that. Like Yeah, no, I was just gonna say it's interesting because from the Sounders perspective, it seems like they they always have a spot available for somebody hmm. and that they're always they 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 don't use up all of their designated players interesting they always but and they're always looking and and we're always hoping uh that they're gonna yeah. find uh someone uh but they're you know they're we're always kind of left wanting uh wanting more that's really and, interesting that they don't absolutely feel like they've got to immediately fill the the designated they don't player spot they don't yeah so huh. so we've had all our designated player spots filled continuously yeah like we never have an overdose. Now that doesn't mean that we can't sign people because they they play these MLS games where like like right now we have all the designated players filled, but they're talking about oh bringing in a designated player and you're like how is that possible? Well, 
somebody be, can become a citizen. They buy down their, their oh, name. Yeah, so they're yeah. no longer yeah. a designated player. You know. So I got this weird uh, timer on Zoom. I've got four minutes and 40 seconds left for this podcast to, to wrap up. So I apologize. Okay. Uh, All right. I, I don't know. No, no, that's okay. So I, I think we should finish with, you know, in the, the ATL on fire tradition, you know, we used to ask all of our guests, you know, what was your favorite thing about Atlanta United and what was your least favorite thing about Atlanta United? So I think we'll ask you the same. Which Excellent. Is, what's your favorite thing about Seattle and what's your least favorite? Oh boy. Uh, so favorite thing about Seattle just has to be uh, that the atmosphere of going to games um, and just the, the, you know, win, win or lose, obviously we like winning yeah. better, but uh, <laughs> the, the atmosphere in those games is just amazing. And uh, by the way, there's nothing better than going to Seattle games away as well. So we've been to a number of games in Portland as well, and they are okay. just awesome. they're amazing to go to. Yeah. Um, worst thing, worst thing. Is there anything um, about the club or the stadium or the game day experience that you would change? Like, is there anything negative? You know, I don't, I, I you know, the, other than the usual gripes of the stadium of uh, uh, cheaper food, cheaper beer, or oh. things like that. Uh, uh, That's it's a actually good one. interesting. We're very spoiled as Atlanta United fans because for whatever reason, Arthur Blank, who owns the stadium, decided that he didn't want any of that. So at at the uh, Mercedes-Benz, it's really, so not only do they have all the best restaurants from Atlanta in the stadium, so you're not getting the generic, you know, concession stand thing, but it's also, everything is affordable. So a beer at Atlanta United game is like maybe two, three dollars. No. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like a hot dog is a normal hot split. dog price. I forget what it is, like a dollar fifty or something like that for a hot dog? No. Yeah. So they have, they have, sometimes they have cheap beers where you can buy a Bud Light for five bucks and, and that's yeah. their cheap beer. And that, yeah, no, we get like I've, fancy local beers for three bucks. Oh, I'm jealous. And, and if you buy a soda, for example, at Atlanta United, they have refill stations throughout the stadium. You can just refill anywhere. You don't have to go to a concession stand or anything. So since we're since we're no. probably not going to be beat Seattle this season, I don't even know if we play them. Uh, that's not, we're going to go on that high note as a uh, as guys, a winner. We played earlier. They, yeah. We, yeah, we tied one to one. One one. Oh, that's right. We did fly out there, and yeah, I know. I know. You're already he's blanking out because of all of our I know. I'm struggling with the team, Dave. I think I'm right on my prediction. I don't think we're going to be a contender this year, but I still have my fingers crossed. Zoom is about to kick us out for some reason. I don't know why um, my subscription or something has changed. So, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, Dave, thank you so much for joining. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Good thanks luck. for having me. Yeah, good luck this season. And uh, you guys enjoy the rest of the time out there. We'll see you in the MLS Cup. All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs>
love to hear your feedback on Twitter at ATL on fire and tell your friends to subscribe. We are on iTunes, Google play, and really any sort of podcast, uh, platform that you're on. So do listen again. Have a good one.